You're listening to the Eurofolk Radio Network, and this is the Andrew Carrington Hitchcock Show with your host, Andrew Carrington Hitchcock. Hello, everyone, and that was Paul English, who does my announcements on the show. Uh, he also did all the announcements for Absent Friends, and he's with us again today. How are you today, Paul? Uh, I'm fine, Andy. Good to be back with you. Uh, I won't speak in an announcer's voice all the way through. That'd be a bit <laughs> tiresome, wouldn't it? Oh, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, good to it's, be back with you. Yeah, excellent. And what we're going to do today is, is we're going to use as a springboard, if you like. Um, people will be aware of um, Israel Cohen's a racial program for the 20th century, but we're also going to get into the Pope and, uh, you know, how this plays out today. But I'm going to do something a bit different. Now, the quote, um, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you from the Wikipedia page because it's got the usual, oh, is this quote verified, etc. So it's only a short um, uh, article, about three paragraphs off the Wikipedia page. So I'll read it all, including the quote. And then Paul and I can discuss the quote and see if uh, it's another thing like the protocols that they claim to be a forgery, but are actually happening uh, and have been happening for many, many years. So this uh, is if you just put a racial program for the 20th century or Israel Cohen into and then wiki afterwards into your uh, Google or whatever search engine you use, then you should come up with it at the top. A racial program for the 20th century, occasionally a radical no, sorry, let me start again. A racial program for the 20th century from Wikipedia. This article is about anti-Semitic hoax credited to Israel Cohen. For other uses of Israel Cohen, see Israel Cohen disambiguation. It says, a racial program for the 20th century, occasionally a radical program for the 20th century, was written in 1912 by Israel Cohen, a British Jewish communist. The text first gained public notoriety on June the 7th, 1957, during a debate on the Civil Rights Act of 1957, when Republican Thomas Abernethy of Mississippi read a reputed quotation from it into the congressional record. We must realise that our party's most powerful weapon is racial tensions. By propounding into the consciousness of the dark races that for centuries they have been oppressed by whites, we can mould them to the programme of the Communist Party. In America we will aim for subtle victory. While inflaming the Negro minority against the whites, we will endeavour to instil in the whites a guilt complex for their exploitation of the Negroes. We will aid the Negroes to rise in prominence in every walk of life, in the professions and in the world of sports and entertainment. With this prestige, the Negro will be able to intermarry with the whites and begin a process which will deliver America to our cause. That's the quote. This is the rest of the wiki article. Abernethy had found the quotation in a March letter to the editor of the Washington Star. He claimed it as proof that the civil rights movement was a foreign communist plot. However, the Washington Star soon apologised for having printed the quotation without verifying its authenticity and, on February 18, 1958, published an article entitled Story of a Phony Quotation, a Futile Effort to Pin It Down, a Racial Programme for the 20th Century, Seems to Exist only in somebody's imagination, which traced the quotation to Eustace Mullins, who claimed to have found it in a Zionist publication in the Library of Congress. 
On August the 30th of that year, Republican Abraham J. Malter of New York read the Star article into the Congressional re Record and raised several other points challenging the quotation's authenticity. These included the non-existence of a British Communist Party in 1912, it was in brackets, it was founded in only 1920, the non-existence of a British communist author named Israel Cohen, brackets, although a British Jewish author and Zionist named Israel Cohen did exist in that period, he had no affiliation with communism, nor is there any record of him writing the text, and the failure of a book entitled A Racial Programme for the 20th Century to appear either in the Library of Congress or in the British Museum catalogue of printed books. Playwright Myron Fagan claims to have met founders of the Fabian Society, Israel Zangwill, Edward Bernays and Israel Cohen while Cohen was writing the book at a banquet thrown by Diamond Jim Brady at the Delmonico's restaurant in New York after the opening of The Melting Pot, which was a play, I believe, by Myron Fagan. Um, so, yeah, there you go. That's the the uh, page from Wikipool. So, I mean, there's so many things that we can talk about here. Um, firstly, I like the way that um, they they try and knock each bit one one bit at a time. Firstly, oh, he, he, uh, the British Communist Party was only founded in 1920, and there's no um, a communist author named Israel Cohen, although a British Jewish author and Zionist named Israel Cohen did exist, etc., etc. Um, for me, communism is Judaism, and that's what Rabbi Stephen Wise said. So every Jew is a communist, but not every communist is a Jew. Your thoughts, please, Paul? Yeah, well, the article's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's a good example of how they um, swing things this way and that. And uh, as you said, look for these sort of mild excuses. Just a, a little correction there at the end, the melting pot... Um, because uh, we did speak about him, didn't we, just prior to the show. This was that play by Zangwill, Israel Zangwill. Um, oh, okay. And people should look him up as well, although it's pretty difficult to look at his face, I've got to tell you. <laughs> He's, uh, uh, well, he, he fits an awful lot of archetypes, but uh, Zangwill is the guy, is he not, that coined this phrase, the melting pot, which yeah. is a projection. You know, he wants America to become a melting pot to racially nullify the whites. But you're right about the way that the... Uh, the Wikipedia article is screwed together. Um, the British Communist Party. I mean, that's such a pathetic little thing. It didn't start until 1920. It's like listening to a child making up ridiculous reasons. I mean, so um, what are you to say? It's an extremely coherent quote. It makes complete sense. And the question you have to level at it, I think, just like uh, Ford did, Henry Ford, when continually quizzed about the protocols is, uh, whether forgery or not, it's come true. And um, has this come true? Well, you'd have to say that to a great degree it has, and it does form a plank of this ongoing attack on white Western Israelite Christian culture. It really does. Well, yeah, if we take line by line, I'll, I'll just offer my comments line by line because they're quite brief, um, and then hand over to you. Now, firstly, we must realise that our party's most powerful weapon is racial tensions. Well, what w we've explained, um, you know, last week when we went through my article, Jewish Genocide of the White Race Case Closed, and it's the Jews that are bringing all these non-whites over. So, yes, they realise that their most powerful weapon is racial tensions, and it's Jews behind it. 
Next line, by pro- sorry, next sentence, by propounding into the consciousness of the dark races that for centuries they have been oppressed by whites, we can mould them to the programme of the Communist Party. So they're basically saying that they're going to tell the blacks that the whites have been oppressing them. And you only need to look at uh, the... Uh, Elizabeth Donnan's books on the slave trade or who brought the slaves to America or even uh, the blacks themselves in the Nation of Islam uh, the two volumes set the secret relationship between blacks and Jews where it's all admitted that the Jews were behind the slave trade so it was the Jews that oppressed the blacks not the whites and then it says in America we will aim for subtle victory yeah because the Jews operate behind the scenes so they're the, they're the people pulling the, the strings of the puppet that you don't see Next sentence, while inflaming the Negro minority against the whites, we will endeavour to instil in the whites a guilt complex for their exploitation of Negroes. There's even uh, programmes going out now about white guilt on MTV, white privilege on MTV, all this stuff, trying to make white people feel guilty for the non-existent things that they've done to blacks. Um, It's um, unbelievable. Next sentence, we will aid the Negroes to rise in prominence in every walk of life. Affirmative action, anybody? Positive discrimination? In the professions and in the world of sports and entertainment. Look at all the sports stars there. All the entertainment people, all these so-called rappers, and they're all these blacks. And then the next sentence, with this prestige, the Negro will be able to intermarry with the whites and begin a process that will deliver America to our cause. As I've said many times... Uh, the, um, certainly in, in the area of London where I live, I've looked in strollers or push chairs, as we call them over here, seen babies pushed by white women, and about eight out of ten of them are a coffee-coloured mongrel because that woman is a race-mixing whore. And the reason that she's a race-mixing whore is because she keeps being told in the media how wonderful blacks are and all this different nonsense, and so she thinks it's fashionable to go off with a black, but actually she's miscegenating her race and cursing herself and the child. Um, so again, uh, this is something that they're doing. So, so it's another quote uh, that we can give you an example out of every sentence in it of it going on today. Your comments, Paul? Well, yeah, it is absolutely. I mean, you know, whether this is uh, a, a supposedly real document or not is uh, it's really not a relevant question, is it? Um, because as you've just illustrated, every single one of the points it mentions, there is a, a clear and present example right now, and of course it's more obvious, I suppose, than at any other time, simply because of the degree of it that's taking place. I mean, it must be that white people are the only people that that possibly think of this term humanity as actually really existing and don't have been trained ruthlessly to not even use the word race, let alone to think that it even exists. That's the overall sort of cultural framework And, of course, this is to get us to drop our guard, just like you're talking about these women that have done just that. Um, Interesting, this word propounding. By propounding, I mean, basically, that means by making up. It's only a proposal. By making up the idea (laughs) and ramming it into the consciousness of dark people that they've been oppressed by whites. Of course, as you mentioned, the secret relationship between uh, blacks and Jews Um, shows really that the dark race's greatest external uh, exploiter has been the Jews. Uh, Although, I mean, you could probably apply that to any race. You could say that just about any race has been exploited more by Jews than by any other group of people, certainly organised Jewry, who historically have always done this sort of thing. Um, So, 
uh, you know, there's little in this sentence that anybody who's got a background of knowledge could disagree with, or these these series of sentences here. Um, and the idea about whether Cohen existed or not, these are just, it's pretty weak. Uh, but then what do you expect from Wikipedia? I mean, it's patrolled by, um, what do they call them, Cyanim and Jewish agents, and I think yeah. most of the editorial staff, anything to control the narrative to stop the thoughts arising and percolating in the brains of the dumb goy. Hello, here we are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's um, it's pretty clear. And when was this written? When, when are we saying this was? 1920? Is that yeah, right? So I, we're, yeah. we're about 100 years ago with this, and, and um, the whole idea of America um, being a melting pot is encapsulated in these four or five sentences here, what they've, what they've sought to do and what they've achieved. The sports thing is interesting. I mean, uh, I... In America, uh, baseball used to have the Negro Leagues and uh, the major leagues were white predominantly until I think it was a, a baseball player called Jackie Robinson. I think that would be in the 1940s. And that began that whole process of controlling sports. And I would imagine most sports teams are controlled by Jews um, as a business, you know, part of the entertainment business now. So it sucks the sort of essence of sport. The spirit of it often gets subdued uh, almost totally now by money and commercialism, and that's all been part of this. Um, but I'm reasonably sure that the black communities, when more separated from the white communities in America, um, thrived in a much more wholesome way. Um, you know, this pounding into their consciousness that they've been oppressed by us um, has destroyed both groups, of course, which is the plan... <laughs> Um, I'm not saying that there hasn't been some exploitation. That would be uh, completely stupid. But that there has been a consistent plan by white people to do it? No, I don't think so. Um, and if that were the case, why do black people still want to live around white people who produce most of the sort of technologies and civilizing factors that we know today? So, um, But it's it's nice to know that they write these things down every now and again to make our job a little bit easier. Of course, then they go on to deny it all. I sometimes think that that process, I don't know what you think, the process of even throwing out a false... Let's suppose this is a false idea. Let's suppose this is a false sentence. Uh, I don't believe that it is, but let's just, you know, suppose that it is. This whole communications exercise around it works to the same end. The mere fact that you're even throwing the ideas up and getting them exposed, even in a supposedly critical light, is beginning to get them spread and embedded in people's minds. Um, it's almost like, um, what do they say? You know, all publicity is good publicity. Even this, even this article is publicizing and spreading this idea, which is what they want. Um, you know, some people would say, yeah, you know, white people really have oppressed a lot of people. And of course, this has become a prevalent meme, hasn't it? Um, I think. Um, amongst a lot of people, particularly uh, young people who are going to Marxist universities across the West and coming out with all sorts of gibberish, um, none of it really uh, with any evidence in reality of it of it being true. So it's a telling it's a telling statement, and uh, nearly a hundred years old. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, even if we take it, uh, say for example, it is made up, um, and the first time it came to light is June the seventh, nineteen fifty seven. Well. You know, that's almost 59 years to the day of this broadcast going out on the 6th of June. Um, and you have to look at it. Back 59 years ago, did we have lots of Negroes married to white women? 
uh, did we have whites feeling guilty about Negroes when they were being they they were put in separate bathrooms, etc. Uh, they went to separate schools. Uh, they were kept separate in America. But there was no problem. They had their area and the whites had their area. But, of course, then you go back to the start of the quote. We must realise that our party's most powerful weapon is racial tensions. You know how the racial tensions started, folks? Because they removed those barriers and they made them mix. And as Pastor Visser said when I had him on the show last time, he actually was a kid who had to bus two and a half hours a, a, a journey from his home so he could go to a black school predominantly black school because that's what all these yellow school buses you see that I wasn't familiar with I thought they just picked you up and because we don't really have those much in, in the UK um, certainly not when I was at school you, you made your own way to school or your mother dropped you off or whatever um, but that's the purpose of all these buses, to pick pick different people up so they can mix them all up and, and get this communist agenda, agenda going. Um, so, yeah, and what you said as well about uh, all publicity is good pub- publicity, I think that we turn this around to what we're doing here. Uh, and I've, I, I don't go for every quote that I see, um, but this one is important. And as you know, I've done... Um, you Gentile, Morris Samuel's You Gentiles and um, Theodore Kaufman's Germany Must Perish uh, with John Kaminsky on this show. And Jews Must Live, um, John's actually, it's not something that he's so interested in, so I'm going to have another look at that and I'm going to go through that with with another guest. But that is the trilogy, almost according to, in my opinion, and it's something that me and Wikipedia and I, sorry, agree on. Because if you go into one, it'll say, see also at the bottom, and they're the three books that are linked. And so they're like a little trilogy by three different authors that admit to what the Jews are about and what they're doing. And that's why it's so important to, you know, discuss them on this show. And it's so important to discuss this quote as well. And the protocols that I did with Pastor Eli James on the Bloodline show that are also on the Eurofolk site for people to download. Um these things, by by exposing these so-called forgeries, what they say are forgeries, and saying, well, hang on, the, the, you can prove their, their truth by the fact that everything that they promised to do, they have. Um, th- this is how they fall apart, and this is why they don't like to draw attention to them, the media and things like that, and say, oh, you know, look at this, look at how, what a racist remark they said that a Jew said this, because... A, a, a sun reader, you know, a tabloid newspaper, newspaper reader would read this and they would probably work out, hang on, this is what's happening at the moment, isn't it? So how can it be a, a forgery or false? And the Jews don't want you to know that. That's why they don't talk about it. Um, now, I know that you want to talk about the Pope, so we'll move on to that now, Paul. But if, if I don't you... really. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Oh, I must talk about the Pope. Now, actually, just one little thing. As, uh, just one yeah, last close this, one this off, article yeah. here. The last sentence on the Wikipedia entry begins, it says, playwright Myron Kuraval Fagan. And uh, interestingly, it fails to mention just there that Fagan was a Jew. And uh, he was, um, I think he's, uh, I don't agree with him on everything. You never can tell with this, but I think he tends to sort of fall into that same category 
um, as um, uh, the guy that did the Willard Hotel speech, whose name currently escapes me, uh, uh, Friedman. Yeah, Benjamin uh, Friedman, he was. Yeah, yeah uh, who gave that speech in the early 60s. He's basically an insider, was Fagan, and he made a whole series of recordings. I think we've even aired some of them here at EFR from time to time. Um, and uh, so if, if he claims to have met these founders, uh, but they don't mention that he's a Jew, you see, and the stuff is all there. Uh, or is generally always there, but they will leave out these little references to weaken the the clarity so that you as a reader can gain uh, insight and conviction. You have to keep on searching. And I think that's part of the part of just a natural process that's involved with these um, supposedly forgeries, the, these statements that come out. It's always a sort of an arduous process. It becomes sort of bogged down in minutiae. A bit like the thing that you were quoting there about 1912, or is it 1920, or were his trousers red, or were they blue? The idea is to get completely sort of wrapped up in sort of pointless little details and use these things to invalidate the main thrust of the argument. The other thing about forgeries, of course, the word forgery um, or counterfeit, is that it's a copy of an original. Yeah. And so even in their use of that word, they're admitting that it's true. They're just, oh, it's a forgery. But it's a forgery then of a real thing, right? <laughs> um, so it's real. Uh, it's definitely real. Let's talk about the Pope. Oh, just before <laughs> you do, um, I think because <laughs> right. we talked beforehand, and, I think, and I've, I'm in the uh, Israel Zangwill um, page, and I think if people just type in Israel Zangwill uh, in, and then Wiki and you look at this guy, he is uh, quite awful. Um, but... Um, yeah, when you go down to uh, politics, just listen to what, what it says here. Um, and this guy, before we do, this guy was born 1864, died 1926. So it shows you how far back this goes. Politics. Zangwill endorsed feminism and pacifism, but his greatest effect may have been as a writer who popularised the idea of the combination of ethnicities into a single American nation. The hero of his widely produced play, The Melting Pot, proclaims, America is God's crucible, the great melting pot, where all the races of Europe are melting and reforming, Germans and Frenchmen, Irishmen and Englishmen, Jews and Russians, into the crucible with you all. God is making the American. Uh, and of course, you know, this is, um, you know, this is before the... Uh, uh, the the quote that we talked about was 1920 when they were talking about the blacks. But it just shows you here that, um, you know, that's what they were aiming for. And the Jews, they like to keep in their own communities. As we know in Israel, they uh, don't like Jews marrying um, outside their race. If people want to Google birthright, uh, I feature that in my book, Synagogue of Satan, Updated, Expanded and Uncensored. And that's an organisation that pays for Jewish children from all around the world to travel to Israel uh, in the hope of propagandising them into not marrying outside the Jewish race because the Jews need to be um, that they need to be kept so-called pure, which is laughable because we know that Jews are just a mongrelisation anyway, and that's why you have Germ uh, sorry Japanese Jews and Chinese Jews and. Uh, African Jews, the Coptic, the Falasha, all these different Jews because they marry into different uh, races in order to better exploit those races in the same way they're married into all the royal lines of uh, in England as um, Arnold Lease shows you in his pamphlet, Our Jewish Aristocracy. So I just thought we'd tail that off with just a little bit about Sangwill. 
Um, yeah, have you I've... seen this last? There's an entry, you know, for it on. Uh, let me just read this little bit because this has just got me chuckling. Uh, this is melodrama of its at its finest. The melting pot. It says, "This is on the Wikipedia entry." There's an entry about about the play, the melting yeah. pot. It just says this at the end: um, "The hero of the play, David, emigrates to America in the wake of the 1903 Kishinev pogrom, okay, in which his entire family is killed." <laughs> He writes a great symphony called The Crucible. I, mean, I can't stop laughing. Expressing his hope for a world in which all ethnicity has melted away ugh, and <laughs> falls in love with a beautiful Russian Christian immigrant named Vera. The dramatic peak of the play is the moment when David meets Vera's father, who turns out to be the Russian officer responsible for the annihilation of David's family. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> Vera's father admits his guilt. The symphony is performed to accolades. Everybody cries. We're all going to race mix ourselves into hell. I mean, the melting pot's a really good title for it as well. I mean, if you if you look at a picture of Zangwill's face, he is. I am reminded of a line from a poem, "The Raven" by Edgar Allan Poe. It says uh, towards the end. So there's a line that runs, and his eyes had all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming. And he really is. I mean, uh, this is a hellish dream, the melting pot. I think it's quite, um, you know, there they are, literally burning everybody into one great big mess, which, of course, is secretly the Talmudic heart's desire, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, thanks, Israel, you, <laughs> mm. you know, you muppet. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's so melodramatic. I love all that stuff. You killed all my family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow, great, fantastic. Next, you know. Um, what a joke. The problem is is that people fall for this emotional guff. It's layered with it. Um, I think that's really the key thing, is that the use of emotionalism in all these stories um, is to uh, get the emotions rolling, particularly in, the, in our own people, um, so that the tears begin to come. The empathy is really milked. And pretty soon you're feeling terrible because you didn't help everybody in the world this morning. You know, I mean, and it's like I think we said in a previous show, wasn't it, um, that where is the end point of this kind of logic? Well, the end point is that white people should kill themselves now, this is where this logic goes, for all the bad things that they may do tomorrow to other people that are not white because we've got privilege, apparently. This is just deranged. Uh, but unfortunately, because it's, it's marching and running around on the back end of people's emotions, People carry it with them like a virus. And you get all these emoting people. We've got to help everybody. Um, no, we don't. Or, or if we do, we're certainly not going to help it, help anybody by uh, running ourselves, you know, draining our own blood down to nothingness. I mean, it's just... Uh, shall we talk about the Pope now? I'm trying to put it off. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it, it's excellent comments. I just thought we may as well drag Sandwell in as well because you, you, we talked about him um, before and I was kind of unsure who he was. And I like the word drag. I think that's a good word, yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> it, yeah, that's, that's about the strength of it. And also, you see, the, these people, it, it's, um, it's difficult to do a whole show on, um, you know, one quotation. I mean, you know, you can do and what have you, but I like to take us in different directions. But um, I'll let you introduce the the business with the Pope. I know you've got an article as well, but as I introduce the other thing, you you um, because you you were talking about it and its relevance to uh, the quotation from uh, Israel Cohen. So I'll hand over to you and you um, bring this subject into the discussion, please, Paul. Yeah, well, this is uh, I mentioned this, didn't 
I just to you just before the show because I know you've yeah. had him on. This is on John Denugent's site, and I think John was on with you a few weeks back, wasn't he? Yeah. And um, uh, this was posted on May the twenty fourth. Um, so if you go to a search engine, dear listeners, and type in John De, as in D-E, John DeNugent, you'll come across his site, which is johndenugent.com. And this was an article that went up with the title, Pope Francis, Longtime Zionist Tool. And <laughs> just to let you know, the word tool has a rather vulgar uh, uh, secondary meaning here in English over here in Britain. So yeah. I'll, let you, uh, I'll let you all work that out. But it's very appropriate as well. Anyway, there's a lovely picture at the head of this article of the cheery Pope um, stood next to somebody called Franciscus Bergoglio, who happens to be Jewish. Um, and we don't need to go through the whole article, but the gist of it is, um, is that Argentina has an extremely large and powerful Jewish community, something which, for me, prior to reading this, I wasn't fully aware of. I mean, you could say that they're probably in every single country, but they've infiltrated, ho-ho, quel surprise, the Catholic Church organisation over there. And uh, what this article is pointing out is that uh, the Pope is basically a tool for... Zionist Jewish influence within uh, whatever is left of the Catholic Church. And I'm not here to profess that I am all-knowing about the structures of the Catholic Church um, at all. Um, but interestingly, this article does refer over to the uh, website of E. Michael Jones, uh, culturewars.com, uh, because you can get the whole article in full from there. I think they want $4 for it, and it's probably worth it, actually. Um, e. Michael Jones has possibly some... Uh, listeners here at EFR aware is um, a Catholic, talks about Catholicism, but from, I would suggest, probably the most robust and healthy perspective that I've come across. And, and he's a tremendous uh, teacher. Um, his book, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, if you haven't read it and you've got the time, I would recommend it. It's about 1,200 pages long, uh, but from a historical sort of um, facts and details point of view is brilliant. Anyway, here he is obviously applying his fine mind to this situation right now. And <laughs> there is this picture uh, at the bottom, which I think many people will have seen over the last few weeks. Um, it's some immigrants arriving somewhere in Europe, and the Pope, <laughs> apparently, that's what he's called, is kissing the foot of a black person. And the caption here on John de Nugent's photo says, Pope Francis kisses the foot of a man during the foot-washing ritual at the Castle Nueva de Porto Refugee Centre, some 30 kilometres from Rome. OK, so now we know where it was. This was in March this year. The pontiff washed and kissed the feet of Muslim, Orthodox, Hindu and Catholic refugees Thursday, declaring them children of the same God, really, in a gesture of welcome and brotherhood at a time when anti-Muslim and anti-immigration sentiment has spiked following the Brussels attack. I mean, he's never offered to come over and kiss your feet, has he, Andrew? He's, he's certainly no. not kissed mine. <laughs> you ever had your foot kissed by the Pope? No, it's unbelievable, isn't it? And, I mean, it's just that it goes to show that, you know, he he is a tool of these interests. I mean, even higher up in the article, um, you, uh, I think the, the second picture after the one at the top... Uh, you've got him with three Jews, at least three. You can see their skull caps. Um, and he's got a skull cap on as well, Yarmulka, and he's kissing one of the Jews' hands. And we've uh, said a lot on my show that, um, you know, Catholicism is controlled by Jews. And it even says in, I think it's in the Book of Corinthians, that um, he who prays 
with his head covered dishonoreth his head. And this has always been a point that you're, uh, I think the women are supposed to have their head covered in prayer, uh, it says in, in the scripture, uh, but the men are not. Um, and so the fact that they all wear these yarmulkas and stuff goes to show that they're not uh, in touch with the God of scripture that we know as Yahweh, but instead they're in, in touch with some other God and we know who that is. That is, that is, that is Satan. Yep, that's right. I think also in courts, um, not necessarily. I mean, I I don't understand the paraphernalia of British courts with wigs and things. Of course, I know they're all a little bit circumspect with their sexuality. All these judges, anyway. So maybe a little bit of cross dressing. You never can tell. I mean, they're, they're open to, for us poking fun at them because these people are uh, nasty little uh, traitors of the of the worst type. But. Um, I understand that in certain European courts where they wear hats and things over the head, the reason for it, given, there's also an awning sometimes that sits over the head of the judge. And it's stated it's so that God cannot see them work iniquity or act in a criminal way. It is to shield them from God. And as you're pointing out that picture, I'm looking at those uh, yarmulks. They've got three black ones on the heads of the Jews and one white one on the head of the other Jew uh, or whatever he is. And... Um, you know, are they shielding their evil intentions from God? Is this part of their little sort of mind mess that they run around in? Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Because I understand the main reason why they wear yarmulks is that we're not supposed to. I mean, everything it seems to me about supposedly um, extremely serious Judaism is actually based on a childish rant against anything that the Israelites do. So if the Israelites are told uh, not to wear a hat in the presence of God or when you're in church... Then the Jews have to wear one. They're just—they're mm. like little Tommy opposites. They're quite comical, really. Um, they just go out of their way to do the the other thing. Um, it's no—I don't think it's anything more profound than that. I really view them as babies, uh, very cunning, clever, evil babies. But if you know what I mean, sort of a childish, tempestuous temperament. And um, you know, why haven't they all got boxes on their heads as well? Anyway, I'm getting carried away here. Um, <laughs> But the Pope, eh? The Vicar of Christ. I mean, what is this guy on? He's not, I, I don't know quite what. I mean, the article's worth reading for everybody, so I, I would suggest tucking into it. It's not as if it's crammed with loads of facts, but it's useful to know um, that that's the base from whence this chump sprang. Um, there can't be many Catholics, seriously, who actually think he's the Pope, can they? I mean, I can't speak on behalf of them, but just because he's got the title. I always thought you just got Pope for having the biggest hat or something like that. Mm. I mean, you know, it, it's ridiculous. Um, and um, that place is, is shot to bits. And I think uh, E. Michael Jones would say it's shot to bits as well. I mean, the only place on which we would realistically differ, I think, with E. Michael Jones is not on his analysis of the problem. Uh, I mean, his magazine's called Culture Wars, and he's right because it is about, you know, they're, they're seeking to infect and have successfully infected and corrupted Western uh, Israelite Christian culture. Um, but I think it's, um, it's his solution where I would differ. He, uh, I think many people feel that they can bring these Jews into the church and, what's the phrase, bring them to Christ. Uh, it's hard enough getting the Israelites to understand that. And I think Jews are just basically permanently disqualified and most of them wouldn't like it anyway. And it's really none of our business, frankly. Um, you know, if they want to put boxes on their head and go around and worship Satan, jolly good luck to you. Um, but just don't do it here. That's the problem. The problem is that they're doing these things, just like with the race mixing, in our space. And um, uh, we need our space back. 
our cultural space where we thrive. And, uh, you know, here we are. There's lots of people at EFR, such as ourselves in this conversation, by uh, reason of circumstances, have had to devote a lot of time studying what's going on because the simple sort of truths and laws that we want to instinctively live under, uh, we are denied access to them because of this continual interference run by the adversary, i.e. Satan which is Hebrew for adversary, I understand. So uh, it's a very appropriate word. Well, when the Pope is elected, they um, blow loads of smoke up a chimney when they've actually got the one uh, that they've agreed on. I think that's metaphorical for the fact they're blowing smoke up everyone's rear ends with the uh, you know, actions <laughs> yeah. that, they're, uh, that they're doing and what they're behind. Um, and then what you said about them doing the complete opposite things in the Bible, um, you know, you referred to the Yarmulks and what have you. Uh, I mean, so many things. We, we proved before the Jews are behind the homosexuality. That's forbidden in the Bible. The Jews are behind the race mixing. We're told the pure white Israelites are to live separately. Uh, the Jews even trace their genealogy through the mother. And so they have a matriarchal society, whereas in Scripture you're, t- you're told to go through the father. Just look at John chapter 3 and you will see mm-hmm. the lineage all the way from um, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ, Yeshua the Christ, all the way back through Adam to Yahweh God. Um, and it's all a male line, folks. That's the whole point. And so the Jews, all oh, they're, um, you know, the, the pure white race choose the male line. So, uh, we, the Satan's race, the serpent seed, we must choose the women's line. And all oh, the pure white race are against homosexuality. So we need to be for homosexuality. The pure white race are, are against any sort of race mixing. So we've got to get into their societies and we've got to promote race mixing and we've got to promote homosexuality and we've got to promote um, uh, homosexual marriage and we've got to promote transgenderism. And it goes on and on and on and on and on until you get rid of this cancer from your society. I've said it before. Would there be racism? Would that be a problem in a society that only contained uh, its individual indigenous race? If in the UK we just had pure white race people, there wouldn't be racial problems. There'd be racial banter. I've got no problems with Swedes or or Poles or um, Germans or whatever living amongst me. Uh, I just feel that we should all agree to speak a certain language. And, and if I was to go and live in Germany, I would make sure I spoke German. And I'd expect if someone came to Germany, from Germany to the UK, to live in the UK, that they would speak English. Because it just makes sense. Um, but the fact is, is that so long as they're pure white race, I don't care uh, if they speak a different language to me on its face. But if they... Uh, wanted to live in my nation or I wanted to live in theirs. It's common courtesy that if you actually do want to make that change, then you must love... If you don't love that nation enough to learn that nation's language, then you shouldn't be going to that nation because obviously you're not 100% committed. Um, So this is what I'm trying to get at, folks. From my point of view... um, Africans, Chinese, whatever, they can just stay in their own nations. And the pure white race, we have a variety of nations. Uh, we need to stay together. We don't need any, we, we can't have any racial mongrelization. Any of these mixed mongrels will have to go too. Um, you know, otherwise the, the white race cannot recover. But if we did do that, we wouldn't have any of these problems that the Jews are foisting upon us. But this is, you, you see from uh, what Paul said about this Pope here, uh, being filmed kissing all these uh, 
refugees feet and making sure that he goes from you know from every denomination he's got Muslim, Orthodox, Hindu and Catholic, all this sort of stuff. And there'll be some Jews in there, some, um, because there's such a, such a mix. There'll be some blood in there in some of them. You can be guaranteed of it. And, um, all these problems that we're told that we have all seem to be caused by Jews. And then you go all the way back to the Israel Cohen quote, and he says at the very start, uh, our, our main weapon is racial tension. And uh, that's what they're doing, folks. Over to you, Paul. Yeah, our main weapon is racial tension. Well, it's a, it's only a few words, but it's kind of true, isn't it? You know, and I'm looking at this picture again of him kissing, kissing feet. And really, there should be another picture of him kissing a certain group's bottoms, shouldn't there? Hmm. I think that would make a good juxtaposition there. Um, uh, just going through this article as well, um, or little clips of it on the John Denugent site, just here, you know, paraf- well, echoing what you were just saying. It says, in 2010, Argentina was the first country in Ibero-America to legalise homosexual marriage. This iniquitous law against the moral order, as well as the pro-abortion law on reproductive health, was passed by Congre- Congress with Archbishop Bishop Bergoglio, that's his real name, I suppose, is it? tacit with his tacit consent and characteristic ambiguity. There's also a picture of him with his hand inside his coat in typical Masonic pose, a la Napoleon and all those other people. So, <clears throat> yeah, racial tension. Racial tension. And there would not be, and I'm not aware of any racial tension, when the races are not overly mixed. I mean, the idea that, if you think about the natural order prior to this concerted, socially engineered effect to overwhelm our homelands with excessive very high numbers of so-called immigrants. Uh, the, the natural relations was obviously a curiosity to find out about other cultures that will always exist, but not to bend them to our will or vice versa or to accommodate their particular value systems. That's the problem. That is the problem. And, of course, uh, this problem is known to arise, and that's the goal, isn't it? You know, That is the goal, is to have those problems arise, uh, Muslim people want to live under uh, so-called Sharia law or whatever it is. I'm not in the slightest bit interested in it. And they're more than entitled to cut each other's heads off and uh, uh, genitally you know, mutilate each, uh, each person's sexual areas for the women and, and wear hats and do whatever they want. That's fantastic. It's up to them to sort out things that they do and do not like. But it's not up to them to be here, present, building mosques and making demands. But, of course, they will do that when they're in sufficient number to feel confident about doing that. And that's what's happened. And that's because, in my view, quite simply, they're at a lower level of evolution. And I don't care what anybody says about that. That's And if anybody says, well, that's awful, I say, well, don't live with me then. I don't bear them any ill will. I just, I just, I just have this desire for them not to be here amongst us. There's no benefit to them or to us. Um, Except I suppose there is a benefit to them because we've got all this economic stuff that we've organized and put together and they get all that for pretty much, you know, a slap on the back and there you go. You can have loads of stuff for nothing, which is um, a little bit tiresome. And that's English understatement for you, but it, but it is. Yeah, and of course the other thing that they like doing is walking around the streets in their pyjamas. Uh, you know, that's the way that we see it, the sort of attire that they wear. 
these ridiculous long beards, all these different things that, you know, I will say, and I don't care if people think that, you know, that's somehow immature or, you know, backward of me to comment. I, I don't like to see um, people not of my nation, strangers in my nation. And then to see that um, we've got cult, every nation has cultural heritage. Uh, well, white nations tend to. Um, and when you look at mosques being built and things like that, that just looks so out of place, you know? Um, it, it's just ridiculous to actually see it. And don't forget, folks, that things have to be knocked down. So part of our cultural heritage, part of our cultural buildings, even if it's a row of, of houses that aren't particularly attractive, they have to be pulled down to make room for their culture, for their buildings. They don't turn up and say, you know what, we'll set up a little mosque in these, uh, you know, this little house here and stuff. No, they have to have it the way they want it. They want to come to your land and they're literally building little enclaves of themselves. And they know what they're doing, folks. This, believe you me, is the Jewish-Muslim alliance that um, that website, Enzog, .wordpress.com got taken down for mentioning the Jewish Muslim Alliance. I'll say it again. The Jews are behind these people coming over. You look at ISIS, uh, these so-called radical Muslims. I'm not aware of any Jews they've killed. They only seem to be killing uh, Muslims that aren't radical enough or their favourite target is Christians. I was always told that the Muslims hated the Jews the most. Uh, Woody Allen said that in a in a joke i heard in the 1960s was that part of it again was that getting everyone ready for this is that what they've been doing and then we go back to i think you mentioned and that with the moors and things like that and we see that the jews were facilitating the muslims getting into european countries then and they're doing the same today so my point is folks is look in the mirror if you're pure white race and you're in america or you're in a western european country or well a european country period um, you know, because obviously all in, in the Eastern Europe, Russia, and this are all white nations. So if you're in Europe, if you're in America, if you're Australia, um, and South Africa, let's not forget them. That was a nothing. There was nothing there. And as soon as the whites came and settled and started creating a culture, the blacks wanted to get a part of that culture because they've been completely uh, incapable of creating any culture of their own. It's historically, I mean, it's it's as simple as that. When you have this Black History Month I hear talked about, I think, well, what's in there? They haven't got any history. Any culture uh, that they've got, they've learned from the white man. You know, unless their black history is dressing up in a loincloth and running around with a spear and building a mud hut, they couldn't even come up with a sail, folks, okay, to, to get out of Africa. Um, everything that they've got beyond primitive Stone Age man has been created by the white race. And there's a reason for that. And if you read my book in the name of Yahweh, you'll find out what that reason is. Because the pure white race were to be above other people, above other races. And if you look historically, all the inventions, all the culture has come from that. Uh, the Jews have latched on and they've hooked into money lines and things like that. They've never created anything. You look at someone like Einstein and they say, oh, Einstein, oh, he was great. He... No, he wasn't. It's well proven that he was a plagiarist, but you see the Jews hold him up as a poster boy so they can try and prove that they've done something. Who's the other Jew that they hold up? Oh, they hold up Sigmund Freud. Psychology has been one of the biggest dis 
destroyers of our race because people have turned from uh, morals into science to about their behavior if people took a more moral outlook and they followed the laws in scripture we'd have a lot happier people and a lot less um disruption in society than we do following the jews and of course freud came out with uh the theory that every man wants to sleep with their own mother i mean a revolting statement like that and this is considered um this is considered educational this is considered scientific it's sick and it's straight out the talmud so sorry about that uh long little rant there that i went in all different directions on uh, paul but you were uh, jump in and take us where you want to go with it it was a sweet rant and um the <clears throat> the essence of trying to fix these things is is always what i keep my mind keeps coming back to this all the time and um you know, why is the process still ongoing? I mean, you know, here we are talking about this. We're not the only people on the net talking about this. Not only um, do most of our listeners or have they become aware of this, we know that there are tens if not hundreds of websites with all their followers who are addressing this. So, you know, the consciousness, the awareness of the issue is raising. And the way that we are often demonized is, oh, by thinking like this, you want to destroy all the other races well i i don't actually i think it'd be far too arduous a task it's wholly unnecessary it's not needed um and the creator god has created all of these races for whatever those reasons may be but it's obvious that there's certain ground rules that apply and when you stick to them such as as we are currently as a as a race of people not doing in the great mass then you get the prosperity and the peace and the decency and the strength and the courage that you are supposed to get. Now, we're obviously not doing that. We're confused, it seems to me. Um, appeals, as it were, to the democratic process to correct this are doomed to failure. They will not work because the people in charge of these so-called democratic processes are the very uh, authors of our current plight. These people... Uh, whether they are Jews that have invaded the power structures of Western uh, countries, of which we know there are many, and of course they've got their own special interest groups and lobbying groups and pressure groups, all of it supported really by their control of finance. That's where this all stems from. Uh, they're not really going to respond to us properly. And then we have um, race traitors who are, as we have often said here, probably doubly damned in hell who have gone over to that side and are willingly uh, participating in the genocide of their own people because the root of us as a people is our convictions in Christ. Whatever anybody may feel about that, I know that it probably makes most white nationalists vomit when you say things like that. And they've got all these sort of strange ideas that this has got nothing to do with our strength, that this has been our great weakness, but this is complete bilge. Uh, to anybody that spends a few hours studying it and working it through, there's a sort of a presentation. Right, I do understand it. You know, churchianity has become wimpianity. It doesn't serve us in the way that it's supposed to. It's not a robust, strong, healthy, clearly understood thing. It's full of equivocating and feelings and all this other nonsense and lots of sort of meek people running around who don't have the capacity therefore, to defend their own people, to defend their own convictions, to be connected with um, the law, the actual law, which to a great degree, and I include myself, for mo most of my life, 
was foreign to me because you, we've become immersed in this modern world of so-called progress. But it's obvious that there's no such thing. It's not progress. It's wrecking. It's wrecking things because it's outside of the purview of the law, the actual law as it applies, whether we like it or not. And most white people have fallen into this trap of progress and don't like these laws. And uh, if you are a white person that stands up for white people, you are to be demonized by the great mass of white people because they're going, but we've got washing machines and things. And this all comes from us breaking away from all that fuddy-duddy old way of thinking. But, of course, it doesn't. Um, they're, they're misled on that as well. So... Um, appeals to the democratic process are not going to solve this problem. Um, you can't bargain with demons. Uh, they're not going to do it. It's all been done on their terms. Even this form of sort of pursuing it is being done within their context. I'm always, I, always, I often come back to this thought that why is it that, and of course this may be a stereotype as well. You'll probably see an article about this in Wikipedia as well as another myth. But I understand that within certain parts of the Talmud, Jews are taught to spit when they go past churches. Yeah. Right? Okay. So it's a bit sort of, it's another one of these childish things. It's funny on one level. I'm just going, are you kidding me? Really? Is that it? You know. But there is an intent. You look at the reactive intent behind it. Why? Because there is, the only essence of the tool that defeats this lies there. Messed around though it is, ruined though it is, completely bastardized and off track though it is, there's a kernel of eternal truth in that stuff that cannot go away. All they can do, all they can do is make us not pay attention to it. But you can't dismiss it. It won't go away ever. When we start to pay attention to it, they have a problem. If we start to pay attention to these laws and we begin to act and behave, it seems to me, in line with these laws, something which I would like to experience amongst a community of ever-growing people before I drop dead in this iteration, as it were, then you'll see things turn around. Anybody that doesn't think that the Western Christian people of the 17th and 18th century weren't formidable is living in La La Land. They're some of the most formidable people that lived. Creative, uh, loving, extremely courageous and defenders of their own people. Now, much of that has been chewed out. You know, you could say that um, this is why I think particularly for us, recent history is very relevant. And by recent history, I would say going back over 500 years. Um, it's very relevant. Um, for me, I sort of, I pick very much the um, the English Civil War and Henry VIII, which is before that, as a starting point for me paying attention to how uh, my country, Britain, or these islands have been corrupted. It's it's all highly relevant and it's all there. And we're at, almost at the tail end of this corruption, this, what is it, the time of Jacob's Troubles? Is that what it's called, Andrew? I think it is, isn't it? Yeah. And um, The end of like an evil age. Yeah. The end of an evil yeah. age. Not, not the end times. People say, oh, we're in the end times. We're at the end of an evil age. And so you can bet your bottom dollar, folks, if your media's telling you to do something, they're telling you to be evil. That's the big clue. When the governments and the media, whatever they tell you to do, whatever they tell you is good and whatever they tell you is bad, bet the other way. Sorry, Paul, please continue. No, no, that's, that's absolutely right. I, you, it's very simple. These simple guidelines are very useful because they save thousands of hours of mental wittering. Oh, is this? And it's, ex it's exhausting to plough through 
one deception after another. Some of us, of course, have done a lot of that, and it clears the way. There has to be a sort of a cleaning crew to tidy up the record to get back to the root of what it's about. But it's in the heart of white people, which is a dormant thing, uh, which is ignited, I would suggest, in a few of us, um, and which we're trying to stoke that fire up. It's, it is it is an appeal to old principles, which are the right ones, which are the true ones, um, of putting our race first. That does not mean that we are supposed to suppress or oppress or put down other races. But it doesn't mean that we cave in and give everything to them either. And this is part of that sort of guilt manipulation. And we are more easily manipulated when we have moved away from this bedrock of the law. Uh, we're very easy to manipulate. And, of course, democracy, which, which what, entered into England with the English Civil War. Um, you know, prior to that, we had a king, and what he said went. And, of course, some of them were complete idiots, and some were far less so and did good, good things. So it's a, it's a checkered path there as well. But I've always basically favoured the idea of a monarchy purely because if you get a bad one, you find out quicker and you can probably correct it faster. Maybe that's a daydream. Maybe you can't do that. But with democracy, we now have 600 demons running mm. around. And the whole thing is like stuck in aspic. You can't change things. Their, their mind are locked into their own agreement. And you're, apparently we've got to abide by the law to correct this. Well, we can't. No. Because what they call the law is not law. It's man-made rule sets. And that that's not law. And we are not taught this, are we, at school? We're, we're not taught what law actually is, the what's so of existence. Well, we can... Um, and we, and we're, we're running out of time, I'm afraid, Paul, so we can always touch on that in our next show. Uh, I agree with your sentiments about these people, but they've made me so annoyed with what they've done to my society. The fact is, blacks, for example, um, if you just send them all back to Africa, then they will their population will dwindle. There's an old joke, how do you set up a black man in a small business, buy him a big business and wait? If you look at all the uh, famine, etc., that happens over in that nation and the fact that they've never been able to cope with it themselves, you will see that without white people's help, they can't, they can't cope. And so nature will be allowed to take its course. Thank you very much for joining me today, Paul. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll be back with you all soon. Bye for now. Thanks, Andy. You have been listening to the Andrew Carrington Hitchcock Show on the Eurofolk Radio Network. Andrew's book, The Synagogue of Satan, is now available on his website, andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com, in an updated, expanded, and uncensored edition.